We're officially in Christmas week. It's complete chaos, okay? It's finishing up the shopping. It's the baking. And maybe you're preparing to go out of town. Maybe you're preparing for people coming into town. In our home, somehow we have figured out how to do both. We've got people coming in town and we're leaving town. I I don't know how that's gonna work. That's just chaos. Isn't it exciting that you and I have a tradition that creates the most chaotic week of our lives? And we do this to ourselves on purpose. How exciting is that? But uh, isn't it interesting, a little paradox here, that in this week that is so chaotic that we have a moment of peace, right? I think Christmas affords us a a moment. It may not come till about Christmas afternoon around three o'clock. The food's gone, the presents are open, we're piling up what's going to be returned. And, and, but there's just that, that moment of peace where I think Christmas gives us the ability to kind of escape the chaos of the world, escape the chaos of the news. Does anybody get overwhelmed by news? You say, I don't want to hear it anymore. It's not that I don't care. I just can't handle all that is going on in our news. M- maybe we're getting a little break from the chaos that we call our home. But we have that moment of of peace, that just that idea that ev- everything's okay, ev- everything is going to be all right. I mean, we're going to go through a couple of days here where we, you know, we're loving and we're giving and we're celebrating. My goodness, we're singing Silent Night and, and Peace on Earth. I mean, this is going to happen. We're going to make it happen. It's just the most wonderful time of year until it's over. <laughs> and then it's back to the chaos, isn't it? And, and we go, we get past the 26 and we call this actually the most depressing week of the year after Christmas because we realize, hey, guess what? Everything's not better. E- everything is not okay. So is this Christmas thing real? Is this just something we trump ourselves all up, get excited, create a lot of traffic, a lot of gifts, and when it's over, it's over? I- is there a real peace for our home? Is there a real peace for our nation and for our world. I mean, right, that's the story, right? The angels filled the sky and, and said something about peace. That's, that's the idea, right? Folks, I would like to suggest to you today that, that peace is not just a Christmas word. I, I would suggest it's one of the top two or three Christmas words that come out of the story. One of the top two or three ideas that come out of the story. As a matter of fact, let me show you this. If you look up here, you'll see three verses And and what I'm trying to show you is how peace weaves its way through the story. In the first verse, this is spoken a couple of months. Mary's, Mary's has Jesus inside her, but he hadn't been born yet. This is a couple of months before that. The second verse is the day, the night that he's born. And the third verse is a week after he's born. So wherever you are in this story, peace keeps showing up. This first verse... It's spoken by a guy named Zechariah, and he's in the middle of this incredible prayer where he's really excited because he's just had a baby boy. And he is, he is praising God and he's giving thanks for that baby. By the way, a little baby that's going to grow up and we're going to call him John the Baptist. So a pretty significant little boy there. And so he's in the middle of this prayer thanking God for that. And we get that, right? We understand why he would be focused. I've had four of my own. I know what it's like. Be all excited and so thankful. And when I was thankful for my new little baby, let me tell you what I wasn't thinking about. Your new little baby. Man, I don't care about your new little baby. I've got a new little baby. And that's what makes it strange. Is right in the middle of this prayer of giving thanks for his baby, all of a sudden, he's giving thanks and praising God for the baby that is in Mary's womb. 
And it's in that part of the prayer that he's speaking of baby Jesus in the womb. And he says that child is going to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet. That, that baby. Man, I'm so excited about my baby. But that baby is going to guide our feet where? To the way of peace, a place every one of us wants to arrive at, a place every one of us wants to go, and there is a baby that is going to do that. And then, of course, the day that Jesus is born, those, those angels do fill the sky, and they say, man, glory to God in the highest, and peace, peace. There's peace. This is a moment where peace is going to come alive between God and man. And then eight days later, Mary and Joseph are, are doing what is tradition uh, in, in Judaism and they're taking Jesus. They're, they're, they're walking out of Bethlehem. They're approaching Jerusalem and they're going into the temple there to, to present their, their baby. And there's this guy in there named Simeon. And, and Simeon sees Mary and Joseph, sees that baby Jesus. And man, just out of his mouth comes, Lord, God up in heaven, you're letting your servant, me, that's Simeon, you're letting your servant depart in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Folks, the product of Christmas is peace. The story unfolding in this world is one of peace. And it is unfolding in a world just like ours. It is just as chaotic. It is just as bad. The news, if they had cable news, would have been wearing people out just like ours does. You know what's going on in the world as, as this Christmas story is unfolding? Rome, in a show of power, goes into Jerusalem and pulls 2,000 people off the streets. There's a population of about 80,000 in Jerusalem. So you're talking about one out of every 40 people. They go in and they grab 2,000 people and they crucify them. All at the same time. They, there, there's a road leading up to Jerusalem and they line the road with these crosses. Now, if you just kind of do the math on that and figure, okay, across every so many feet and, and how, how would they space that? Don't know an exact number, but this would be roughly two miles. Can you, can you for the life of you imagine in your hometown where you live and where you work and, and you're walking up the road to your town and it is lined with 2,000 people dying a slow, agonizing death on a cross. Can you imagine that on the news for a couple of weeks? What's the feel of that? What's the tenor of that? At the same time, man, taxes are soaring. I mean, just out of sight. Now, we're talking about Rome. Rome is the, is the wealth of the world. Rome is the great empire of the world. But there is this, this emperor. And, and this emperor is just running through with the money on his personal ideas, on, on his personal desires. And he is he's draining Rome. So he sends his soldiers, sends the tax collectors out among the, the good people of Rome, says, get it out of their pockets. And you think about how much you and I gripe about taxes. Can you imagine not even knowing how much your taxes are going up from day to day? See, that, that's the world they're living in. A little bit closer to home, they've got their own leader. They've got their own governmental problems. They've got a king by the name of Herod. Now, when we list the really rotten people of the world, right? We talk about Hitler and Stalin and maybe Hussein. We don't usually mention Herod. It's, it, that's just our own historical ignorance. Because King Herod is one of the most vile, evil people that ever walked on planet Earth. 
I mean, he was a horrible person. Caesar, Caesar said, I'd rather be Herod's pig than his son. Herod killed a mother, a mother-in-law. He killed a wife and he killed three of his sons. Aggravating those sons, aren't they sometimes? Act like the place is theirs. Maybe a little bit of threat to his rule. So, So he kills them. I mean, this is a horrible, you know, think about your governmental leaders and what are they doing and oh, whenever anything in their personal life comes up, think how we talk about, folks, this is what's going on in the news. This is what people are are feeling and talking about. Listen, if you live in Judea, the, the three, the five, the 10 years leading up to the Christmas story, you are living at a time in which you feel this is, this is more violent, this is more immoral, I, I, my world is more insecure. Secure than, than I've ever felt before. You live in daily fear of your government. I mean, seriously, if they can just walk in and snatch people off the street and execute them for no reason and don't even have to pretend to have a reason. You, you're living in daily fear. Listen, folks, the Christmas story was not spoken into a Christmas card. It was spoken into a very real world where real things were going on that were wearing people out. It was a time of chaos. It was a time of no hope. That's when the angels are singing. Let me take you back to the line that Simeon spoke a moment ago uh, out of Luke. Simeon, as I said, he's an older guy. I mean, the way the story reads, he's like old as dirt. He'd been around forever and he hangs around at church all the time. He, he's always up at the temple. And God went to Simeon and spoke to him. And that's not, not an everyday occurrence, right? And he said, Simeon, I'm making a promise to you. You are not going to die without your eyes seeing the Messiah. Now, folks, this is something the Jewish people have been looking for for, for thousands of years. So can you imagine God coming to you? Hey, you will not die till your eyes see him. Now the story doesn't tell us then from that promise how long it was before Jesus arrived. It it, it reads like it was a long time. I I don't know if it was five years. I don't know if it was 25 years. I don't know if it was half his life. But can you imagine that day? If you're living on this promise, that day Mary and Joseph come walking through the door and and it's like it's a bolt of lightning the way the story reads. I, I don't know what he saw. The story doesn't give us that information. I don't know if God spoke to his heart and said, there he is. I I don't know if he knew to look for something. I don't know how it happened. But when he saw Jesus, oh my gosh. Oh my God. For all these years, Lord, you're letting your servant depart in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation that's a real, by the way, fancy biblical way of saying, I can die in peace now. I just saw the answer. I just saw your answer for me, for, for my home, for my nation. I just saw the answer for the world. He is the answer, right? Folks, for your guilt, for your frustration, for, for the abuse you've endured, for that place of rejection, for your lust, he is the answer. For your marriage, he's the answer. For that place in your parenting, he is the answer. For our government, he is the answer. For the growing tension and conflict on the streets of America, he is the answer. 
He is the answer for our foreign policy. He is the answer for total peace in your finances. Jesus Christ is the answer. Amen? We do believe that. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I was running out of things to say. How long is it going to take you all to clap? You know what, folks? Yeah, you know what? We're in here today because we love that statement. Jesus is the answer. But I, I wonder if sometimes are we guilty of, of taking that awesome little statement and just sticking it up here on the shelf of cliches. Oh, we love it. We say amen to it. We clap for it. But, but what's, it really, what's it really do? Yeah, I believe Jesus is the answer. Okay, what do I do? You say Jesus is the answer. You know what, folks? That's, what, that's actually what religion does. Religion gives us these little platitudes, little pithy statements, and, and while you're holding on to that little sentence, run over here and do a, do a little religious ritual, a little religious event, and, and we'll hold on to these things and, and try to find some hope and, and tell ourselves that we're okay and that we're good, while absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing gets better. Gosh, is not the United States incredible evidence of this? We are increasingly a violent, immoral, godless society that is steeped in a rich religious heritage. Gosh, after all that heritage, we're going to wind up in the same place as every nation that has no God at all. Answers that go up here on the shelf... Do you know what you know what Christmas is? You want to just one sentence definition of Christmas. Folks, it's God putting on flesh. That, that's Christmas. It's God putting on flesh. It is God giving you and me an answer that I can see and that I can touch and that I can listen to and that I can understand. It's an answer I can process. Guys, the whole of Scripture is, is saying that God wants to have a relationship with me, wants to know me personally and, and love to find that. And yet, aren't you and I, I, I don't really know how to relate without there being skin involved, right? It, it, people, something with skin on it, that's what you relate to. And God, and God put on that skin. God moved into our lives as the answer. Folks, the answer for our marriage, for our homes, the answer for our finances, the answer for our news, the answer for our government, the answer for this world is not a religious event. It's not a little religious moment. It's not some pithy little statement. Folks, it is a heart that beats for and that thrives after and is wholly devoted to the living God. Folks, we need, we need that answer that has flesh on it. You be Christmas. In that problem, in that chaos, in your life and in your home, you be the answer. You be the flesh. Do you know why we don't? Because it costs to do that. It's hard to do that. Besides, it's not my fault. It's, it's, not, it's, 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 it's their fault, at least mostly. 
And you know what? If I try to be the answer, if I try to be what is right and good, they're going to take advantage of that. They didn't ask for forgiveness anyway. They're not going to change. They're not going to do They're not going to respect what I'm trying to help out here and do here. You know, there actually is somebody that has a right to say that. There is somebody who has a right to say, I haven't done anything wrong here. All I've ever done in this relationship is, is be good and be just and be kind and be loving. All I've ever done for this relationship is what is right. All they've ever done is rebel and reject and fight back. I'm not going to do anything here. There is somebody that has a right to say that. That'd be God, wouldn't it? God is the one who does not have to be the answer. God is the one who has the right to, I don't have, I don't have to move. This is all on you. But, but he didn't. He put flesh. He put on flesh. And came into where we were, whether we respect it, whether we acknowledge it, whether we appreciate it, whether we respond to it, he moved. Now, here's the crazy thing. You and I call ourselves followers of Christ, right? I follow Jesus. What did Jesus do? He went into the chaos, he went into the problem, and he put flesh on the answer. So if I'm a follower of Christ, would that not mean that I'm doing the same thing? Would that not mean that I'm looking at, at any chaos in my life, any problem in my life, and saying, you know what? You know what's needed right there is forgiveness. Put flesh on forgiveness. Your flesh. Put flesh on forgiveness. Put flesh on love. Put flesh on hope. Put flesh on devotion to God. Live, don't just say we're devoted to God in this home. Put flesh on it for your family. Put flesh on it. Of course, we can't actually do that, can we? I mean, I'm supposed to follow Christ, but it's not like I'm him. I, I can't do that. Not in and of myself, neither can you. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, under the direction of his word, and in the help of the church, we can be that answer. We can be the flesh to the answer. When I say we need the church, folks, I'm not saying we need to sit in a building once a week for an hour. That, that, that's not what I mean when I say we need the church. Yeah, we do sit in a building for once a week for an hour. But it's in here to come and to engage with God and to engage with each other so that we can do all this one anothering that the New Testament talks about. Help one another, pray for one another, love one another, serve one another, forgive one another, spur one another on to love and to good deeds. Folks, there's no formula for having a heart thriving after God in isolation. You know, so the idea is that in the power of the Spirit, under the direction of His Word, defining that chaos, defining that moment for me, and with the help of God's people, we become that flesh. We, we become that answer. Now, I, I'm really actually kind of getting into a whole nother sermon. <laughs> Sorry. But you know, as we approach Christmas, what else are we approaching in American life? We're, we're approaching a new year, right? And I just kind of want to throw a little vision out there for us that as we're looking at 2015, we're looking forward to the next week, week and a half, getting a little break from the chaos, but it's coming back, right? 
And, and so as I look out there at this next year and how I'm going to take that on, maybe I'm sitting here thinking about, hey, what is the role the Holy Spirit can play in my life in 2015? What's the role God's word is going to play in my life in 2015? What's the role his church is going to play in my life? Because I need some flesh on some answers in my life and in my world. And, and, and maybe, maybe what we try to use this week for is just the motivation to really move forward in that idea because we're not, we're not very motivated. We quit very easily. We're very comfortable just sticking with cliches and little statements. And I, 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 I put a prayer up here, a, a, a prayer maybe something like we could use to pray for as we're, as we're, what, we're celebrating Christmas, we're celebrating God being the answer, right? We're celebrating God putting flesh on. Okay, Lord, I want you to live greatly in me and through me. Let me be your flesh in my marriage, in my work, in this nation. Let me be the answer in the power of the Holy Spirit. May I live your word. Jesus, I want you. I want your forgiveness. I want your love. I want your ways. And boy, folks, if you're like me, it's real easy to say, Jesus, I want, and then fill in all kinds of blanks. But I think the most powerful thing we can want is this last line. I want your rule in my life. Do you want to live in and enjoy the forgiveness of God? Then live in his rule. Do you want to live in and enjoy how much he loves you? Then live under his rule. Do you want to know his power flowing through your life into that situation, into that chaos? Then live under his rule. Folks, I want to take just a second and, and pray. And I'm not, I'm not going to pray out loud. We're, we're going to have a moment of, uh, of just each of us talking with God. Isn't God cool? He can hear every one of us talk and it's like we're alone with him. That's amazing, God's mind. And I just want us to pray because see, I don't know what your chaos is. I would imagine most, if not all of us, have a, a chaos. Maybe right now, a couple of us really feeling blessed. Our chaos is kind of small and manageable. Maybe our chaos is just the world and, and how stressed out we are by it. Maybe you're actually dealing with a pretty big chaos. But, but right now, thinking about, hey man, because of Christmas, that means there's an answer. So, so God, how does that answer flow through me? How do I put flesh on that answer? And let's just take a moment just to pray about how we approach this week, how we approach this new year, because there's been a, a, a Christmas, Right? Maybe you can take, just, just pray this prayer. Maybe just pull a line out and pray it. Maybe just ignore this altogether and come up with your own. But let's, let's just take a moment and talk with God about the, the chaos in our lives and what Christmas can mean to it. Y'all bow and pray. Lord, it is just such a precious few, a too few seconds that we pause and pray. And I would pray for each of us that these seconds would become minutes and, and these minutes would become hours over the next week. 
of not asking you to blow up the chaos in our life, remove the chaos in our lives, but God, to guide us and and show us how we become your answer in that chaos. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, folks, I I, I said a moment ago that, that, that God put on flesh so that we could see him and understand him and process him, but... That's not, that's not the only reason. God put on flesh so that he could die for you and that he could die for me. You see, by, by putting on flesh, he could, he could open up his back so that as the wrath of God fell, it would fall on him. I think sometimes we have a very inappropriate understanding of forgiveness that that God just excuses it or God just says, well, it's no big deal or you're doing your best. You know what the scripture says? Not one sin goes unpunished. Not one. The wrath of God will fall on the entirety of your sin and sinfulness. Now, what most of us or what most humanity is going to do when that wrath falls is we're, think of God's wrath as a storm, a, the horrible, the most horrible storm you've ever been in. What do you do in a storm? You, you hide, you get under something, right? You know what a lot of people are going to climb under when that storm falls? We're going to climb under our religion. We're going to, I'm going to hide here under my religiosity. Or I'm going to hide under this umbrella of how good I'm trying to be or how good I've been. And we're going to hide under these things as the storm of God's wrath falls. Completely ignoring that God said, those things will not bear up under my wrath. Your, your religiosity will not protect you. Your, your attempt at goodness will not protect you when wrath falls on your sin. Do you understand when God's wrath justly falls on your sin? But then God put on flesh. And now I have a chance to, to come out from under all this stuff that won't work. And I can come over here and I can, I can just hide under Christ. And, and his flesh will catch my wrath. His flesh will, will catch what should be landing on me. And under him, I don't just find protection from this wrath. But under him, I find God's grace and his love and his patience and his forgiveness. His flesh makes that possible. When we say we're celebrating Christmas, We're celebrating his flesh that bore the wrath I deserved. If you're here today and you don't know what you're hiding under 
or you thought you were hiding under how religious you were trying to be and you'd, you've done this and you've done that or you're, you're really trying to be a good person. You're trying to do the things God said and you're, you're hiding under here. Would you hear the word of God say that none of that will work? And Christ calls you to come and hide under him. Could I implore you not to abuse, not to waste, not to throw away another Christmas But let today be the day that you place your life under the person of Jesus Christ.